Hi, I'm referee Mark Freilich. Thanks for joining us for episode 13 of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. My guest today is Keith Walker of Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, near Cleveland. Keith has been a basketball official for 48 years. In 2010, he was inducted into the Ohio High School Athletic Association Officials Hall of Fame. He has worked five Final Four Girls State Tournament games and nine Final Four Boys State Tournament games. A member of the Greater Akron Basketball Association in Northeast Ohio, Keith is a former rules interpreter and president of that association. This podcast is possible week in and week out because of the support from our major sponsor, PQ2 LLC, and its owner and fellow basketball official, Matt Kearns. Visit pq-2.com and see how PQ2 LLC can help you. And with Thanksgiving approaching, if you would like to give thanks for this podcast, you can do so by going to anchor.fm backslash mark dash and click on the support button. From there, you can select the $9.99 cent option, the $4.99 option, or the $9.99 option. This can be a one-time gift or you can utilize the monthly option. Either way, I really appreciate any support that you can offer to keep this podcast going. Keith has a wealth of information to offer. He's got some great stories to tell. I think every official from every age is going to enjoy uh, what Keith has to offer here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the show, Keith. I'll tell you, that's quite an impressive resume that you uh, come with 48 years uh, under your belt. And uh, that 2010 uh, Hall of Fame gig, and then also with the 14 state tournaments, uh, it's just a real pleasure to have you on this show. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Mark. I, uh, I love basketball, and I have for all 48 years, and I loved it before that, but it's been a a great part of my life, and I still thoroughly enjoy it. A little bit different now. Not much on the court, but doing a lot of assigning, so I certainly stay connected to the game. Yeah, and you're also an observer, right? I am. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed that uh, uh, the last, oh, I don't know how many years, seven years, eight, I don't know, whatever it is. But I go and usually do about uh, probably five to ten regional games that I go out to and uh, get assigned to. Uh, Kenny Rockhold coordinates it for Northeastern Ohio, and I do boys and girls and go out and do observations. And uh, I like it. I liked it better when we had people coming from other areas because I didn't know these people and they didn't know me. I think that's a little better, uh, more interesting for me. Sometimes now I see people that work in the league, and I've observed them three times this year already, and it's hard to find new things to say. I always find something. They, they kid me about my pencil and, and things that I can find to say, but uh, I thoroughly enjoy that. I, I just, I guess as a former educator, I just enjoy the uh, the interaction with people and trying to teach uh, in a different kind of way and hopefully impart some of the wisdom or things that I've learned over my career that I've gotten from other people and, and pass it on to the next generation. What are some of the things that you have seen at the regional level in your years of observing some of the consistent things that maybe officials can work on? 
Um, oh, I think there are a couple. Um, I would say one of my one of my pet peeves is, and I know it's maybe picky, but is getting to the reporting area when officials come from the baseline table side. They don't do a good job of getting to the reporting area. They stop in a bad place, which is generally right in front of a coach, and they give the uh, give their information. A uh, good example is the Canton Fieldhouse, where the uh, table scorers table is reset back in there, and sometimes they do that, and the one coach is standing up, and they can't see them. And I've had score personnel complain to me that we can't see the officials, so I ask them to, to please do that. Um, I guess the other thing is, uh, Denny Morris has preached for years about mirroring the ball when you're the lead. Um, I think we do an adequate job with that. I don't think we do an excellent job with it. I think it's an easy thing to work on, but uh, I find too many people are what uh, my friend Mick Cream and I call lane line huggers. They close down and they get on that lane line extended and they don't want to move. Um, I, I guess those and... I'm a, I'm a sort of a mitnork for signals and mechanics. I, I like those to be crisp. I like them to be sharp. Uh, I remember Hank Zaborniak saying some years ago, the group of people that, uh, you know, those people who work college basketball is great, and they're some of our best officials. But when you work a high school game, you need to use high school mechanics. And if you can't figure out the difference, then maybe you shouldn't work high school games. So sometimes I have to get on college guys because they want to blow their whistle every time there's an inbound play or something like that. But... Uh, Overall, I thoroughly enjoy it, and, and I really think over the past, I don't know, five or ten years, I think the quality of what I've seen at the regional level has definitely improved, and I'm, I'm excited for that, and I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to assigners and to people like Denny Morris uh, that have uh, tried to work on this to make officiating the very best it can be in the state of Ohio. Well, that's good to hear. Um, as an Ohioan uh, myself, it's always good to hear that um, the quality seems to be increasing, and um, uh, there's there's a lot to be said for a lot of hard work uh, that's gone into this. And speaking of hard work, in 2010, you were inducted into the OHSAA's um, or the Ohio High School Athletic Association, for those outside of Ohio, uh, into the Officials Hall of Fame. How did that feel, and, and is that something that um, the day you found out, did you expect that, or did it come as a surprise? Well, it's both. Uh, I submitted my application, uh, and uh, my officiating association nominated me, and I was <clears throat> pleasantly surprised. I had to, uh, I got a, a local basketball coach I had as one of my references, and my uh, high school principal was the other one, and they wrote some rather nice things about me, and I was excited about that. For me, though, the very best part of this whole thing was not so much that I got in because of what I did on the court, which certainly had something to do with it, but the thing I'm very most proud of is that I taught the OHSA referee class for 22 years, hmm. and I trained over 500 new officials, and a lot of those people are still out there, and they're working tournament games, regional games, district games, state games. Um, I love teaching. I was a, I'm a retired teacher, guidance counselor. I love that. I hated to give that up when my league expanded and I didn't have the time. But to get into the Hall of Fame and be recognized in the state of Ohio as a the quality official and for what I had done, you know, for basketball, what I was able to give back is the thing I'm most proud of. I just, uh, I love teaching. I really love teaching. And that was just an opportunity for me to do that. So that was a, certainly a labor of love for over 20 years doing that. 
Well, that that's fantastic. And I'm sure the people that listen to this, I mean, I, I know in just the, the brief time that you and I have talked here, I can tell your, your love for the game and your love for teaching. And uh, that's always great when, when that comes out during an interview. And uh, so I think that's fantastic. Uh, one of the things that uh, I want to talk about is the coronavirus uh, coming up on basketball right now. And uh, I know that as an assigner, I've already had uh, a game canceled and uh, that, that, I, that I had to reschedule. And um, as an official, I've already had a game canceled as well. So what can you say about how this basketball season is beginning to shape up for us officials? Um, uncertain. I've had uh, a number of officials. I don't know how many because I do uh, sign for wrestling too. Um, so I've had a couple of wrestling officials back opt out of officiating because of the virus. I've had a few, probably four or five basketball officials uh, opt out. One guy is one of my favorite guys. Gave me back 18 games, wow. boys and girls, wow. that I had to replace. Uh, then just this week, I had a school cancel two bridges and a game because two players are quarantined, so they're done for 14 days until they can get that taken care of. I certainly understand people people's reticence to, to officiate. I'm older, too, and I, my wife bugs me about being out, but I'm good about my mask, and I try and stay away from people. But I understand that a couple of people, for example, that have opted out are, are younger fellows, but, but that have young kids at home or uh, a wife with some kind of compromised health care situation. And I certainly... I worry about that. I worry about our schools. Um, I watched in football. It looked like it worked pretty well. In our league, we had a couple games canceled. Not too bad. I thought we did a, a good job with that. Uh, volleyball, we got through that pretty well. I, I'm really very unsure as to what basketball is going to be like. Um, I, I worry about that. Do the best job we can. I'm going to go on Saturday, for example. I'm going to uh, I've got six young fellows coming out of another person's referee class, and they're going to work a freshman three-way scrimmage, and I'm going to be there to help them. And I worry about you know all those people. That would be my first time actually in a gym with all the people in their masks and everything. I went to a scrimmage last Saturday. Very pleased to see that all of the players in the scrimmage, as soon as they sat down on the bench and had their drink of water, they put their masks on. I was very uh, encouraged by that and think that if we can continue that kind of behavior, I think our chances of having a somewhat, somewhat normal season are uh, are certainly there for the, the taking if we do it. But um, I am I am concerned about it, and not much I can do. I can take care of myself. I can try and take care of my officials, and uh, we'll go from there. And we'll see what happens. Well, before we get into the pregame, we want to take a little bit of a break, and so we want to thank Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC. Hey Ref, if your day job requires engineering thermoplastics, connect with PQ2 LLC and have a thorough, candid, and honest pregame discussion about your next injection molding, extrusion, or blow molded project. Make the right call to PQ2 LLC. That's www.pq-2.com. 
So for those of you joining us for the first time, this podcast is set up just like a basketball game for officials anyways. We have our pregame. We go into the first two quarters. We have a halftime going to the third and fourth quarter, followed by the postgame. And then we also have a little special segment called Five Quick Decisions. So uh, first we're going to go into our pregame. And in pregame we talk just a, a little bit about um, uh, personal stuff and then we talk a little bit about ga- in-game stuff. So uh, first thing I want to talk about with you, Keith, is is your journey into officiating uh, 48 years ago. How did you get into it? And uh, just talk a little bit about uh, some of the influential people that led you into uh, wearing the stripes. Okay, well, a little bit what I heard you listen to. I listened to one of your earlier podcasts and some things you said. Our careers are a little bit similar where I, I coached for a while, and uh, I love practices and hated games. And uh, it was a decent player, but I don't think I was a good game coach, and it was I was going to get an ulcer. And so uh, one thing led to another, and I moved from the classroom into the guidance department. And at that point, they didn't want, for some reason, they didn't want counselors coaching, so I didn't coach, which was okay with me at that point. And I had a, another counseling cohort who was just gotten into, had just gotten into officiating, and he talked me into that. And I said, I don't know about this. As, as a high school player especially, I always considered officials sort of as a, a necessary evil. Uh, that's, I hate to say that now, but that's how I remember seeing it then. And then I got into this and just fell in love with it. Uh, I can remember, though, the class was so different than the class then that I taught, or that anybody teaches now, is that we met. Uh, in the basement of a of a branch bank building, uh, the guy sat up there with his rule book. We talked about that. We never set one foot on the court before we took the test and went out to do the first game. And I had never been on the court. Now I had coached for five years and obviously played my whole life, but that's still a totally different situation. So um, it was very different for me. And I've always said to people, I think referees can are better referees if they've coached. And coaches are better coaches if they've ever refereed. So I've uh, I've had a lot of great mentors. I think uh, these names won't resonate with many people, but two guys that were instrumental for me were a guy named Bill Gallagher and another guy named Chuck McDermott uh, from Northeastern Ohio from the Akron area. And they were very, very good to me. And I remember when they put me up, to, they nominated me to run for our board in our local association, and I was shocked. I was only... I'd only been an official for about six or seven years and didn't think anybody knew me or why would they entrust me with that kind of thing. And, and uh, I was so pleased with that. I wouldn't call them mentors, but I would say that some of the best experiences that I had that made me a better official and a better trainer of officials are the camps that I worked for Joe DeRosa. And I don't know if that name resonates yeah. or not, but Joe was a longtime NBA official right. and then he switched from that and worked uh, uh, Division One basketball, mostly in the Big 12 for a number of years. But he ran a camp at Mount Union, uh, Century Cage Classic. They had, uh, I don't know, 40, 50 teams there for a couple of days. And we worked there, and I worked as a clinician. Uh, Joe would bring in NBA, other NBA referees, uh, learned a lot from them. Uh, one of my cohorts then was a name that might resonate with people in Ohio. Bill Eck was one of our clinicians, too. He's a Big Ten official now, and and. Uh, science officials for probably a hundred different colleges. Uh, Mike Foote and Dan Fowser were two of the other clinicians that I worked with and learned so much from. They ended up going on and worked Division One basketball. So uh, I've been surrounded. I've been fortunate enough to be with a lot of great officiating people, and hopefully I've picked up a little bit from each of them and been able to pass 
belong to the people with whom I've come in contact in some small measure. Tell us a little bit about early in your career, some of the lessons that you learned in officiating that really impacted you. I'll tell you one I still remember. I mentioned Bill Gallagher, and uh, Bill was, I don't know, he was probably 20 years older than I was. But we were working in a very competitive ninth-grade postseason tournament. And we're working the game, and I'm two-person, obviously, and I'm the lead, and he's on the trail, and he's the lead. No, first, I'm the lead, and he's the trail. And I catch this kid who's at the high post in the circle, top half of the circle, and he has his heels on the free throw line and just barely on the line or over the line, I don't remember. And I remember calling three seconds. And we had a timeout, and Bill said, I didn't, was that kid really in there? And I, when I explained to him that the kids, because I had eagle eyes, I could see that his foot was a quarter inch on the line, over the line, whatever it was. And so that was a violation of the rule. Um, but you learned later, you need to be not too fine. It needs to fit in the game. And those are the kind of things that uh, proactive officiating by saying things like move, you know, get out of there, things like that, would have been much more helpful than that. I'll never forget that. I probably had been officiating. That's been over 40 years ago, and I'll never forget that kind of thing about just not being too fine. I think the other thing is try to listen a lot and don't talk very much. Um, I like to talk, but I can be a good listener. Um, I think as a guidance counselor, that was one of my strengths, and I, hopefully I use that in officiating. Uh, keeping your mouth shut, I remember one of my first varsity games, I worked with a guy, a veteran official, who had a somewhat interesting reputation He's a little flamboyant, and uh, we were talking about, in the pregame, we were talking about the press. And he somehow, if I can shorten this, he worked it out so that I would always move. He would stay at midcourt, and I would move from baseline to baseline to cover the press. Oh, my. And I, he was a veteran. I was the rookie, and so I didn't say, I said, George, are you, this is how, no, it's battle with Bestie, so I've got the experience, and I'll be there. And you can run a lot better than I can. So when they move that, then you get on down to that other baseline, and I'll cover the backside here, and we'll be fine. So, again, that's 40-some years ago, and I, I always remember that. I didn't say a whole lot at that point, but it made me think that those aren't the kind of things that I want to do to other people. Uh, I always tell people that, J.D., you guys, I hope they stay around to watch the varsity game, but you always have to filter out some of the things you see because I've had, when I taught the class all those years, I've had, I'd have students come back and say, well, I went to this varsity game and I watched so-and-so and they did this. And I said, well, that's not really the way the book says we should do it. Um, and so let's try and do it the right way. Since we're in the pregame section, talk a little bit about uh, how important a pregame is and some of the things that you talk about in your pregames. Well, I think the pregame is most important if you're working with somebody that you're not that familiar with. Uh, generally, and I will have to admit that if I, if you and I, Mark, had worked for five years together on and off, and we worked five games that year together, I doubt that our pregame would be as thorough as it would be if I'm working with Joe Smith, who I don't know, and I, I don't know what his tendencies are, I don't know what his tolerance levels are for coaches, for players, whatever, it's going to be a little more uh, lengthy, I would say, at that point. But I think it's 
you just need to get a feel for your partners. You need to get a thought for their thoughts. When you start talking to a guy in a pregame, and you'll find you've had it, I'm sure, or other officials, people you can just tell they're not paying any attention to you. You know, and, and I, one of my big things that I try and use with partners and I try and use with coaches, and I taught English for quite a while, so I use this as pronouns, is stay away from I and you, and let's talk about we. We Even if, if we have a, you blow a play, I'm going to say, well, how could we cover that play better? Or if I'm talking to a coach and he's out of line and say, coach, we really need to get on the same page with this. We don't need a problem here. The I and the you is a little more accusatory, and so I've always tried to use that, that pronoun influence to, to, uh, to my advantage. Okay, that puts to bed our pregame. And so we are going to head to the first quarter, and the first quarter is brought to you by Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC. Hey, ref, this is Matt Kearns with PQ2 LLC. Call me to discuss your next injection molded plastic resin buy. You'll realize it was a great call. We've been in the plastics business for over 40 years and are thrilled to work closely with world-class customers and best-in-class domestic and global suppliers. You can expect complete transparency through every step of your polymer sourcing process. This year marks my 34th year of officiating basketball in the state of Ohio, and I'm sending my best wishes to you for a safe, successful, and fun year on the hardwoods. Hey, ref, click on www.pq-2.com. Our first quarter is about coaches and communication. And in your 48 years, what has been some of the most beneficial things that you have done in dealing with coaches, Keith? Um, I would say speak slowly. Um, I think the best two words that I've ever learned, I don't know where I came up with this, I didn't invent this, but when a coach has some question about a situation, and especially, especially if it has to do with a rule, if I can say, coach, by rule, control is established when blah, 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 blah. They listen far better to that, I found, than I say, coach, he did this or she did that or whatever. If I started out with by rule, hmm. I find that they listen that much better. I find, too, that nodding my head um, is better, trying to keep my mouth shut, nod my head. I hear what you're saying. I don't have to agree. Um, I've always found that coaches want to be heard, which I understand. And I always tell coaches, you know, I'll, I'll listen to you, but as soon as you start to yell at me, I'm leaving. I don't, I'm not here to be yelled at. I'm here to have a conversation with you. Um, so I think those are things that are um, important. Um, try to not be accusatory with anything. Don't paint yourself in a corner. I've heard officials, unfortunately, say things like, you know, uh, next time you're up, that's going to be a key or whatever it says like that. Coach, work with me, please. Coach, you need to stay back in the box. Coach, work with us. Um, so I, I think trying to get them on your side, and again, it helps the more experience you have, the more familiar the coaches are with you. Uh, they may not, you may not be their favorite official, but if they, they know you, I think they give you a little more leeway. I see this happen all the time with younger officials, and I've been on both sides. I can remember when I started 
and I can remember working some games, and I was the rookie on the crew. Especially, I remember one of my first tournament games, and I worked with a legendary official in Ohio, Bill Alford, and uh, they're all over me, and he's doing the same thing I'm doing or not doing, and I'm thinking, I said to him, Bill, how come they're not yelling at him? He said, how long have you been officiating? And I said, I don't know, eight years? He said, I've been doing it 18 years. <laughs> I said, okay. So I learned a little bit about that, and I empathize with people when they when they start. That's why I tell one of my things for officials is, and I learned this from Joe DeRosa, one of the things I'll always remember from him is about projecting strength in all the things that you do. You never know who's watching, and those coaches pay attention. I love it when I have a varsity coach, and it doesn't happen often, but I have a varsity coach send me an email or a text or catch me someplace and say, hey, that JV guy that you had us at our game on Friday night was really, he was pretty good. I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I always make sure I get back to the JV guy and say, hey, that varsity coach took note of what you did. I don't know what he was looking at, but obviously he liked what he saw, and that's the thing that you know is in your favor because obviously you're projecting something that the coach sees as positive. We talk about the coach's relationship, and, and when the coach is on you pretty heavily during a game, how – what kind of things do you do to maintain that that professionalism when the coach is in your face? Uh, you're trying to remain calm. Do you have anything or did you have anything that you did uh, to help you remain calm or, or keep that professionalism? Well, again, trying to stay calm is one thing. And <clears throat> I used to say to kids in school, I'd give them the evil eye, you know, the hairy eyeball, and just look at them like, you know, don't say that, don't do that. <laughs> I know that this may not resonate well in all quarters i had a lot of and i know we didn't have the put the warning in the book for um almost technical fouls but not technical fouls i personally had a lot of success with the stop sign didn't do it early didn't do it often but especially with somebody that i knew well if i put up the stop sign he knew or she knew that was it we weren't we weren't going any further there and if they went beyond that then i did what i had to do I know some people don't like that. Personally, for me, it worked. But uh, it is very difficult to do. And you go into some games, you know how it is. Officials who officiate very long in an area know which coaches are going to be more um, animated on the bench, which are going to be tougher to deal with. Um, it's tough. I, again, a legendary coach in Ohio was Jack Reynolds, who had amazing success at Barberton. I got along well with Jack, but he screamed at me a few times. I remember one time called a timeout and he came clear out of the big court to complain to me about something, but it was the wrong thing. And as soon as I said, Jack, you thought I did this. No, I didn't call that. I called this. And he goes, what? And then he just sort of stomped and went back to the bench. And it seems like that. It didn't, wasn't a situation where I felt I needed to tee him up. It was a dead ball. He came out there and we had a decent conversation, but um, those were always ones that were a little tougher. Um, I also like, you know, when the, the coaches that I tell people, if so-and-so says something to you, you probably ought to listen because he or she doesn't say much. I think when you get to know coaches a little bit, some coaches are going to talk the whole time, and, and that doesn't work. After a while, that goes in one ear and out the other, just like I hear coaches that yell at kids all the time. I think that goes in one ear and out the other. But there are certain coaches, and you know some, that if they yell at you about some rule or some situation, you probably ought to rethink how that whole scenario went down because they don't say too much. And when they say something, you probably ought to listen. 
Oh, yeah. I think every area in the state probably has coaches exactly like that. And those are the guys that usually win every season and uh, and have probably about four or 500 wins under their belt. So they've been around a long time and they've proven themselves as well. Um, you know, in the first quarter, unrelated to the coaches, um, but you're in the first quarter and, and many of the things that you talked about with the officials in the pregame, maybe they've gone nearly unnoticed by your partner. How do you deal with that at the end of the first quarter in talking with that partner? I think it goes back again to what I said about the pronouns, uh, staying away from I and you and saying we, I say, you know, we had a little, that wasn't the best quarter maybe for us. The coaches are a little hot. The play is not very good. As all officials know, when the players play well, we look great. When the players don't play well, it's a real struggle to be viewed as a positive part of that game because the bumbling, the passes, the people on the floor, it makes it very tough. I would say, you know, what can we do to, to make this game better at this point? Well, that puts the end of the first quarter. And so we're going to head to the second quarter. And Matt Kearns and PQ2 want to tell you this. Hey, ref, objectivity, integrity, and experience, all hallmarks of a quality basketball official. At PQ2 LLC, we bring those traits and an unmatched passion for our customers' successful plastic application by being a one-stop shop for thermoplastic resins. Visit our website at www.pq-2.com. Real needs, practical solutions, and exponential results. PQ2 LLC. Okay, so that puts the end to our second quarter, and we are going to go to halftime right now. And halftime, uh, we're going to hear from Matt Kearns at PQ2 LLC. We're going to come back, and we're going to finish the third quarter, the fourth quarter, have our post game, and go to the five quick decisions. We'll be right back. So as we enter the second quarter, we just have a couple of questions in the second quarter, and this deals mainly with players and communication. And you talked about this a little bit earlier, about proactive officiating. Um, can you identify some of the times that proactive officiating uh, is really going to enhance the flow of the game? I think the thing that I found successful for myself and when I watch games, whether it's on television or whether it's games that I observe, I think it's post-play, especially low post-play, when you get people trying to get position and people trying to play defense and somebody trying to move somebody off their spot and getting in there and uh, saying, guys, easy, take it easy, easy, please. A little smile on your face, let them know that you're watching, you know. And I think that place is probably the most evident. I think the, the play out front, you have to be careful. If you've got people that are doing work out there I always tell guys never tell somebody never tell a player to get his hands off because uh, to me that as soon as the coach hears that he's going to say well why didn't you call the foul mm -hmm. if you just say hands easy whoa whoa sometimes that can help you out but I think by far I've done more proactive officiating on low post play than anything else or during a free throw when we get them lined up probably not in COVID now because we're not supposed to get very close to them but going in there and saying to two guys, 
hey guys, I know you're trying to get get down here and get the ball, but we got to take it easy. I don't want to have to call a foul on either one of you. So let's just try and do it right, and and then let's make the game go. It'll help us all out. So I guess that's probably the most I I use proactive officiating, and when I I've seen it used most. Have you noticed that more of the kids are talking to officials, and not in a detrimental way, but just overall having a conversation with officials on the floor? Oh, by far. I, I don't think I've played four years of high school basketball. I don't think I ever said anything to an official, except maybe thank you, sir. I, I don't remember ever talking to an official. And now you get the things that, you know, and if they want to talk, that's fine. I'll try and, it's like, coach, I'll try and answer your question. I don't like the one where every time somebody happens and you get the end one, you know, and then, yeah. and then there was no whistle. That's a little different. But I think kids, just because being kids, are more likely to, to approach officials. And I think that's good if they feel that they can come to you with a question, especially, and it doesn't happen often. It's great when a kid comes up and says, sir, can I ask you about that last play? I say, absolutely. And I said, if not right now, the next time we have a break, let's talk about it. I think it's great because if we can get them where they don't view us as the, uh, the negative force on the, on the floor, I think that's beneficial to the game. Hey, Ref, this is Matt Kearns, and I'm honored and proud that PQ2 LLC is sponsoring my very good friend and former co-official Mark Fralick and the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. I love plastics manufacturing and making things happen in the world of engineering, resin, distribution, and compounding. But come on, there's nothing like game night. A packed gym, the place is rocking. And we leave the floor knowing our crew gave the players and coaches our best, right? I truly hope you enjoy these podcasts and thank you for your continued support of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast and PQ2 LLC. Tonight's tip, nobody came to see us officiate, so make sure the kids are the stars on game night. Welcome back for the third quarter. In the third quarter, we talk about officials, communications, crew dynamics. But before we get to the questions, Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC want to tell you this. Hey, Ref. Rule 1, Section A, Article 3 in the Project Management Rulebook says trusting your business partner gives you the best chance to launch your new plastics project application. Make PQ2 LLC part of your crew on your next thermoplastic resin application. Call 330-888-9448 and ask for our in-house basketball official and owner, Matt Kearns. So Keith, let's talk a little bit about officiating and the communication of officials. What can officials do to improve, uh, I call it crew cohesiveness, it might be uh, whether or not they communicate with each other a little better, but what can officials do to improve the crew cohesiveness during the pregame, during halftime, and maybe even during the timeouts during the game? I think especially when you talk about the latter two things that you mentioned there are three, is talk about the plays that we had that went well and those that did not. I think if referees are like everybody else, I think, I know I learn best from the things that I mess up on 
and if we really blew a play or we didn't have great coverage on the press or whatever it happens to be, that's timeout at halftime or wherever it happens to be is a good time to talk about that. Halftime is even better because then we can get our boards out and we can look at how we can do these things better. But short things about well, let's make sure, again, that we get to where we're supposed to be and that make sure that, for example, uh, the one we always want to stay away from is the large. If you're the lead and the play comes to you and you've got this huge block charge kind of thing, um, we know that uh, a lead official is more likely to have the one that's going to jump on it quickly. If we both get our fists up in the air, that's fine. We can't get in any trouble with that because there was a foul. We do get in trouble with one guy, you know, gives the player control foul signal and the other guy gives the block signal. We have a lot of trouble. So we need to make sure that that, especially that outside official pauses just a little bit. That's one of the things I noticed when I watched college basketball is the really quality officials there seldom do they let themselves get into that situation. You see that great pause when they have those double whistles. I don't have a lot of trouble with a lot of double whistles. I mean, uh, we're going to have some, but uh, just doing with that. Trying to remember, too, I think that, that we're out there as a team. I always remember a guy telling me early on that if you go by the coach and he tells me, Keith, you got to help Mark out. He's struggling tonight. But when Mark goes by, that coach is going to say to Mark, hey, Mark, you got to help Keith out. He's really struggling tonight. So we don't want to buy into that coach who's you, trying to make you think that he's on your side and the only guy screwing up out there is your partner. You're in this together, and we need to make sure that we have a, a cohesive um, front uh, for the whole game. And I think that probably goes back to – I really like what you talked about with the pronouns uh, and, and the we. I think that really goes back to emphasizing that portion um, of the conversation in – the halftime and also during the timeout. So I, that's that's one definite thing that I'm going to be taking away from this uh, from this podcast. One of many things. What advice do you have for young officials moving from the lower levels to varsity? Well, I think the first thing and the thing that I see now, not much. And this is hard for me to talk about because I'm not a patient person. <laughs> is a patient. This thing about, I get guys, I get emails all the time, maybe you do too, you're a signer, from somebody who says, hey, Keith, I, I'm, a, I'm a class one now, so I'm, I'm, if you've got any varsity games, I'm ready. The class one, they work three years. They're not ready for varsity basketball, in my humble opinion. They need to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more plays before they're ready. Some people, there are very few that are ready at that point, they're not many. I'll give you one quick sidelight here. On a, I had a guy in my class uh, 25 years ago. His name is Mike Roberts. He was a uh, uh, Kent City policeman, and uh, he was in my class. He had played at Kent State. He was an outstanding player. Got into officiating, did some rec ball. Uh, somebody talked to him in the state of the class. He was giving back JD girls games the first year to do uh, you know junior college games at that point he is the best referee that i ever had in my class he's been in the final four twice he has a full schedule in the big east the sec the acc um he was amazing and that was an oddity most people in my frame of thinking need to probably officiate about four or five years of jv games before they're ready for varsity there's a few after three years are ready there are some that it's five or six and to be very candid, there's some that are never going to be really ready for that level. But I think being patient, 
I think being sponge-like, too, they need to listen to what people say, even if it doesn't resonate with them or it's not what their mentors told them. Listen and then sort it out. And if you've got questions about it, then go to a mentor, which is another thing I would say in here is that officials need to find a mentor, somebody that they can they, they trust and that they can go watch and they can learn from a quality person who's going to take some interest in them and try and emulate the things that they do on the court as they move along uh, this trail. And also, just summing it up, I said, I think you need to listen a lot and not talk very much. When you talk to a, a younger official, do you have the conversation of um, make sure you know who you listen to um, because you really want the younger officials to probably get advice from um, an official who is following the way the game should be called. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's why this especially was obvious to me when I taught the class and I would have guys come back a, a year or two later um, and say, you know, Keith, you, know, you talked about, you know, watching the varsity level and I stayed for the varsity game. And this guy was doing this, and he was doing that, and he was telling me this. And I'd say, well, not everybody does it according to the book. I was very adamant when I taught the class that I tried to do 99% of the things that the manual said should be done a particular way. There were a couple things that I deviated a little. I don't want to get into them here. They were minor. But I think you need to you know, pick a good mentor and bounce them off those people because there are going to be people that are going to give advice uh, and they don't always know what they're talking about, and that, that's not a good situation. Uh, I just tell people, you, again, you need to nod your head, and uh, like you're listening, yep, I hear you, and then do your thing, and if you've got a question about it, get back with your mentor and make sure that he or she says, yes, this is what we need to do, and the book says this. Somebody else says something different. That is not correct. So as we talk about younger officials, now let's flip the switch a little bit. We're the veteran officials, and, and you're officiating with a younger official, uh, do you find yourself in as a veteran in protection mode and mentoring mode or no mode at all? I would say for me, definitely it would be the mentoring mode. I try and make sure that everything that I do is exactly by the book so that they can see that what I say is what I do and that I can try and do that. And if there are times, you know, in between breaks when I say, Hey, you know, you got to make sure you're, you're getting way too close to the table. That's one of the things I see people go. I said, you don't need to be that close. 15 to 20 feet is if your signals are good and your voice is good, the closer you get to the table, the more opportunity you have to get in trouble. So stay away from there. See if we can do that. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, but I would definitely say for me it was a mentoring mode. Well, that third quarter was loaded with some great advice from Keith, and uh, that puts to bed our third quarter. We're going to head to the fourth quarter now, but first, Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC want to tell you this. Hey, ref, the fourth quarter is crunch time. With the outcome of the game in the balance, a hoops official's greatest assets are experience, knowledge, and game management skills. And when that final buzzer sounds, and we return to the locker room for our post-game debrief, we know we've done our best. When it comes to plastic resins, PQ2 LLC brings the same experience, knowledge, and management skills to every client engagement. Our observations are focused, our solutions are practical, and our results are exponential. Check us out at www.pq-2.com to learn how we've earned our stripes. 
So the fourth quarter is just a variety of different questions in one scenario. So we'll talk about the scenario first, Keith. Uh, the game is tied at 60. There's five seconds to go in the game. Team A has the basketball underneath their own basket, and there's a timeout. What are you and your partners going to be talking about during the timeout? Okay, we're going to talk about where we are right now. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of the clock. We need to make sure who's going to make sure that that clock gets started correctly. And if it doesn't, we take care of it right then. We're going to talk about if we have a foul, are we in the one-and-one? One? Do we have two shots? We need to look for any kind of an intentional foul. We need to look to see if, make sure that all the screens are legal. Um, we need to make sure that if it's going to be obviously in this situation, well, not obviously, but a spot throw in to tell, make sure they know it's a spot right here. I, I tend to not, I try and have people cut down on the verbiage, but that's one time in that situation I wouldn't just say spot. I'll say this is a spot violation. Do not move and make sure that we would talk about that. Um, and then talking about, okay, what are our primary coverage areas? What are we going to have? What's the typical scenario here of what, what kind of situation might we have? Uh, all of those little things to make sure that we are trying to be proactive and not get caught by surprise. Make sure we know who we're going to have that last shot. Who's responsible? Make sure that we get, if they need help, we give help, but we've only got one person calling that last second shot. You know, in a, a similar situation, um, but the score's different. You're going to probably talk about a lot of different things, but say Team A is ahead by two points with five seconds to go in the game, and Team A has the inbound underneath their own basket, and there's a timeout. So now uh, what kind of different things are you going to speak about in this timeout? Well, I think the, the scenario there is that A needs to get the ball inbounds, and B doesn't want to let them do that, so we're going to have to, to watch for that. Uh, I think we're going to have to watch also the, the dreaded intentional foul at this point. If, if let's say that uh, team A is not in the one-and-one one or not in the two-shot or whatever. Maybe they are in the one-and-one. One, it's not the two. We want to make sure if there's a foul, we call it. But uh, we've got to make sure that if somebody intentionally grabs somebody or holds somebody, that we come out and we have the, the gumption and the fortitude to call an intentional foul. We have to make sure, too, that we have a good count on that. We've got that out there. That's one time. I know that count is supposed to be silent, but that's one time where I might count out loud a little bit uh, just because I want to make sure they know that um, they've got that five seconds. Uh, as you look at your 48 years uh, in, in officiating, Keith, uh, I'm sure you've had a lot of games that you remember, but what are some of the, just a, maybe a couple of the games that you can remember the most? Well, I remember one interesting game I worked in, up in Cleveland was Bedford and St. Ignatius, and uh, a lot of people in the gym. Uh, I'll never, I can give the whole scenario. 11 seconds to go, and St. Ignatius is uh, down by two. They have the ball. They bring the ball up the court. I'm the, let's see, I'm the center across from the table. They bring it up. They cross midcourt, and it's like the, the Red Sea opens up. And this kid drives unmolested for a basket and lays it in to tie the score up. Well, I figure at that point there were like six seconds to go. I figure Bedford's going to call a timeout. So what? No, they don't call a timeout. They bring the ball down. The crowd is going crazy. You can't hear anything. They take a shot. I'm the opposite. And I, I have this habit of the last five seconds, I count it down in my head. Five, four, three, 
two, one, zero, zero. And if I say zero the second time, I blow the whistle and the game's over. Because I know the buzzer had to go. Well, anyhow, this kid takes his shot. He misses it. They tip it in. I don't hear anything. I haven't gotten to zero yet. I hammer it home. And we start running off the floor. And the Ignatius coach, luckily I was younger. My partners were younger. We were able to outrun him to the locker room. But he chased us all the way to the locker room. We got the tape of that game. Uh, my friend Nick Cream and I, who I worked a lot of games with, uh, we watched it at Nick's house. We probably watched that last 11 seconds a dozen times. We put a stopwatch on it because you couldn't hear anything. In 10 of the 11 times that we watched it, the shot was good. The 11th one, yeah, maybe maybe not. But I felt vindicated that we went back. We watched it. It was good. It was really tough, I know. And he was complaining that they couldn't have gotten that second tip. The kid tipped it. It was a strange play. Tipped it high. It went in. I kept, There was never any doubt in my mind that it was good. And I'll never forget that he chased us right off the floor. Um, <laughs> and, and you were younger, right? <laughs> I was younger. That's the only reason I got to the locker room first. The other one that I do remember is I, people might not remember this guy named Bobby Smith. He played for Akron U. He's called Bobby something Smith. He's a great player. He coached in Akron East. And he was quite the talker and quite the dresser. He'd show up in a tuxedo and different things. But anyhow, they're playing a game at Ravenna. And the game comes down to the last second. And the trail comes down. The kid takes this shot from midcourt. The ball's still in his hand. And the buzzer goes off. You can't hear anything. And there I am, and I'm waving it, sort of doing the windmill. I'm sitting here doing it. No good, no good. And the time when I did the third no good, wouldn't you know, the basket, the ball goes through the basket. And I give it another no good. I got a, I still have it. I have the letter. Bobby Smith sent me a letter the following week, said I looked at the tape, and you were 100% correct. He said, that's one thing I always liked about you. He said, you always had the guts to make the tough call. And I'll never forget that, and I have that letter. You don't get a lot of letters from coaches. Nope. I've got a few um, of things like that, but I remember those two incidents like they were yesterday. <laughs> well, those are great stories. Um, what are What's some of the scariest things that has happened to you on the floor? Serious, as in negative? Yeah, maybe uh, maybe with a fan or a coach or, or a player. Uh, well, I remember having to throw a few fans out. I, I remember a couple of them. I was working a, a girls game at Hoban, Hoban and St. D, which is a huge, huge rivalry. And I make this call, and the next thing I know, there's some guy, fan, who's right in my ear that smells greatly of alcohol, telling me all kinds of things about my ancestry and all kinds of things. And I was pretty calm, and there was a cop on the end line. I just said, hey, this guy doesn't want to see the end. And so they took him off and did that. I think the scariest thing I ever saw um, was, and it turned out okay, but I'm doing a game at, at Cold Lake High School, and this kid drives in, he steals the ball, drives in uh, for a semi-breakaway, and he goes up, and the defender gets there and just barely bumps him a little bit, enough that there's going to be a foul, but he goes head over heels and comes down on his head, and you could hear that, his head splat. Just, it was scary, and right then I, I was probably 40 feet, I was, that was on the, the lead side. I was the center on the other side, and I could see that, the blood already just pooling around his head. Wow. Scared the devil out of me. That place got so silent. Make a long story short, probably delayed minutes. Good point is, he went, all he had was a bad concussion and about 14 stitches in his head. They life-flighted him to Cleveland Clinic, and he was fine. 
but I have never been so scared that I thought I was going to see a, a player die on the court because when that happened. Wow. Wow. That, that is amazing. Uh, that would be uh, something you definitely would never forget. And um, so never forget. Yeah. Well, that's the end of our fourth quarter. We're going to head to the post game and we'll be right back. Hey ref, good game. When a coach or player acknowledge your effort at the end of a contest, it can make the difference between a fun ride home or one where you're questioning every call you made in total silence. In business, it's no different when the customer values your performance and takes the time to let you know. Visit www.pq-2.com forward slash about to read customer testimonials and then call us at 330-888-9448 to discuss your next plastic application needs. Never ride home wondering if you made the right call. As we enter the post game, Keith, some of the best things in officiating is the brother and sisterhood of the people who wear the stripes. And, you know, we have the drives to the game. We have the post game destinations. Uh, we have the drives home. You know, those things can be some of the favorite things and probably the, some of the more interesting parts of officiating. Talk a little bit about that and some of the examples that you've been able to encounter uh, with that brother and sisterhood. Well, I think that's one good thing about tournament games, especially it used to be regional tournament games. You used to go farther away. And I can remember some great trips to Ohio University and to Bowling Green uh, for regional games with officials, some who I knew well, some who I didn't. And the conversations that we had there and the things you learned about people and, and the basketball talk that we had. Um, we sort of have a nice thing around here, too. On, on Friday nights, we have a Texas Roadhouse that's near us that stays open late enough that we can get food. And we a bunch of us meet there every Friday night. And I don't officiate anymore, really, at the at all. Well, pretty much not at all. But anyhow, I do go out and observe every Friday night along with three other nights in the week. But we go there, and a bunch of us meet anywhere from 5 to 12 of us will get together and just talk basketball. You know, what happened in your game tonight? You know, what were some of the great plays that happened? What are the things that went well, didn't go well? Um, I had an interesting conversation. I think this is relevant here. I was talking to some people the other day about uh, racism in this country and that how some of us who live in whiter areas don't have the opportunity sometimes to have friends of color. And basketball has given me that opportunity. I grew up in a little town in northwestern Ohio, about 15 miles from where you are, and obviously we didn't have much diversity. So basketball has been, I've been very blessed to have wonderful African-American friends that I would not have gotten to know, and I really consider them my friends, and I feel like that's been good for me that I've been able to have friends in people of color that I would never have had before. And I, I treasure that, and hopefully that makes me a better person, and I can be more on the side of trying to make sure that we treat everybody equally. What's the best advice that you ever received from a fellow official? Um, well, I guess two to one. Uh, it's probably, I said before, about speaking slowly. And not getting, because I'm, I, I have a, can be temperamental, have a little bit of a temper. I had to learn to, to tone that down. When I coached, I was an embarrassment. I yelled way too much. My wife would come to my games and people would say to her, is he like that at home? And she'd go, no, he's really pretty quiet. 
but I would get on the game and I would yell at my kids, not yell anything other than way too much instruction. And I was, I would be embarrassed if I had to watch myself do that. So I think I took that as an official and say, I don't want to be like that as an official. And the other thing is, I think that I got the other day, I was listening to the first of the OSSA um, meetings for the year put on by Tim Gibbard. I'm always ready to learn things. And Debbie said something that I had never heard in this format before, but if you have double whistles, the three Ds, be late, be right, and be needed. That really resonated with me, and I've always talked about that, making sure that if we need that extra whistle, that's fine. If somebody has a call that isn't right, we can go in there, and it's out of your area, but be right. But I never heard anybody um, synthesize it quite as well as that and make it easy for me to remember the three Ds. Be late, be right, and be needed. I just think that's an example of how I still think I'm always learning about this officiating avocation. You talked a couple of times tonight uh, about your your wife, and uh, my guess is that she has been with you all throughout your coaching and officiating career. So um, talk a little bit about her and, and uh, how important it is to have that support system. She's still wonderful. 51 years I've been married. I could not have a better friend. That's great. Um, there were there were times when I know it was tough. We had two young kids at that point when I was officiating. and Sometimes I wasn't here to, you know, help. and I was a middle school athletic director at that point. So a lot of my typical day was to leave here at 6.30 in the morning and get home here at 10.15 at night. And doing that uh, two or three nights a week was not the best situation. She was wonderful about this. There would be times she'd have to sit me down and say, hey, you're going to have to turn back some games or you're going to have to leave some of these dates open because we need to do things. Luckily, both our kids played soccer. They didn't play basketball, so I never got into that conflict. So I was able to see all their games in the fall. But uh, you really, I know, unfortunately, I know too many divorced officials. You know, not putting the blame on anybody, but it's really tough if you let that get in the way. I remember many times Bill has talked about at the camps that he's run about faith, family, and friends. And you need to put have your faith first, your family second, and everything after that um, needs to be in third place. But if you don't have a, an understanding spouse, it's really tough to do this. Um, I, I couldn't ask for a lot of reasons. I could not ask for a better partner throughout my lifetime. Uh, that's great to hear. Uh, I, I think that's a credit to you, credit to her, and and uh, congratulate you for those 51 years. That's just uh, phenomenal. Uh, great example. Just a great example. Yeah. That's the end of our post game. We are just about ready for the five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Hey, ref. PQ2 LLC is proud to be the thermoplastic resin company that dares to be different. Call Matt Kearns at 330 330- Eight 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 nine four four eight, and ask what makes PQ2 LLC different. Officials cite relationships within the community of basketball officials as a huge reason why we take the floor each game night year after year. PQ2 LLC brings the same passion you have in the locker room to every client relationship we've built over the years. And welcome back. We're here with the five quick decisions with Keith Walker, and these are going to be fun to listen to. So, Keith, 
Uh, oftentimes we're fed on uh, after game nights at, at places. Uh, in your long career, what's the best food that you ever received? Um, definitely, without a doubt, Orville High School. Ken Smith was the athletic director, and he treated officials. You got towels, you got candy bars, you had pizza, you had salad, hot dogs, cookies, uh, you name it, soft drinks. Best my father ever had. You know, I'm going to give you a tip on this, and I'm going to give other officials a tip. And this is what I do just because I do what I do. But I take a zip lock baggie to a basketball game and if we get that much food which that's a lot of food but if we get that much food or if we get even popcorn i'll put that mm-hmm. in the ziploc baggie so when i take the popcorn home especially that's not all over the car when i get home it's in the ziploc baggie and so it's not going in anywhere so there's my tip for the for the podcast bring a ziploc baggie to your game <laughs> um <Sounds good>. yeah <laughs> so if there's one rule that you could change in high school basketball what would it be um, balls in the front court, team has control, the ball goes out of bounds in the front court. If you're going to inbound the ball, you've got to inbound it to a player in the front court. You can't throw it to the back court. Let's put a premium on really good defense. I like that. I like that a lot. That's a great idea. What do you think the most misunderstood rule from, uh, from a fan and coach's perspective? Uh, I think it's probably a toss-up between three seconds and over and back. In you know, three seconds, people all think they know the rule, and there's not much of a rule to, for us to understand. It's pretty easy to, to rule on that. Uh, over and back gets a little bit tricky, uh, especially when uh, I never forget I had a play where the ball was inbounded from the baseline. They threw it to a player out near midcourt. He caught the ball in the air, landed with his first foot in the front court. His second foot went to the back court, and I did not call over and back, which is supported by rule, and the fans went crazy. Uh, it's when you want to stop the game and say, here's the rule, folks. It's a casebook scenario right in there. That's what it is. That one's a little trickier. Three seconds, people just don't understand. Yeah. Most people don't. They don't. Uh, two of my favorites. Here we go. Uh, what is the funniest thing a fan has ever said to you? Uh, I never really had a lot. I remember the very first time somebody told me that I shouldn't give up my day job. <laughs> I've never heard that before. And when they said that, I actually started laughing. I thought, you know, that really is pretty good. I mean, uh, that's, that's it. I, I, other than that, I don't know. I've had a lot of fun with fans. I will give one here that I'd like to do, and I got it from somebody else, is that when I start the game or I start the, the half, if I'm the, the administering official and I've got the ball and there's a, a young kid in the front row, I let him hold the ball. That the, the fans think, geez, this guy's sort of normal. He lets it, and the kids just their eyes just light up. Now, I have had a couple of kids that didn't want to give the ball back, which is a little problematic. But I've often found that I think that makes you a little more uh, approachable from at least that few fans that are out there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, that's one of the things I like to do as well, and 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 not just the young kids, but even if there's a a couple there that uh, is maybe in their 60s or 70s and and they just enjoy holding the basketball, they might rub their hands on it and say, I'm going to rub this for luck, and uh, that makes them feel better. So, uh, Absolutely. What's the funniest thing a player or coach ever said to you? Um, I think they talked about uh, I had – I'm working in Barberton and Brexville. At Barberton, the benches are on the end. And in those days, it was a two-person game. And we had what we called normal and off-normal. And if you got off-normal, you tried to get back to normal right away, which meant that you would stand in front of the visiting coach all night long. 
Orville and Brexville, or I'm sorry, uh, Barberton and Brexville were both 17 and 0. Uh, Jack Reynolds was coaching Barberton. Biff Lloyd was coaching Brexville. Uh, toward the end of the game, it gets extended out a little bit. Barberton's going to win, and Biff Lloyd, the Brexville coach, said to me, Keith, he said, I'm tired of looking at your rear end all night. Why don't you go over and stick it in Jack's face for a while? And I'm trying to be really, this was early in my career. I was trying to be professional. I said, Biff, I said, that's not the normal position. I'm supposed to be here. and I'm not supposed to be over there. And he said, hey, you and your Ron out there, you both got college degrees. You ought to be able to figure it out some way. I don't think I should have to look at your rear end all night long. And Jack never gets to see it. Coaches have some of the best things to say, I think. It, and yep. uh, you get the right coach, and you can just spend some time and just enjoy listening to him throughout the game. I, I really enjoy that story. I want to uh, thank Keith Walker for taking the time out of his schedule today to be part of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fralick podcast. Keith, I appreciate the time. This has been uh, a very informative for a lot of officials, a lot of great stories. So I appreciate you taking the time out to be with me today. I truly appreciate the opportunity. Basketball is a great game, and they couldn't play the game without the referees. So uh, I'm just blessed to have been involved with officiating as long as I have. And that closes another episode of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fraley podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Until next time, have a great day. Brighten someone's day with a smile, and God bless.